Luke chapter 4, starting to read at verse 16, says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily or truly I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up, thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way, and came to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. Amen. Long passage of Scripture, but with the help of the Lord this evening, I want to preach your role in your deliverance. Your role in your deliverance. We're going to pray one more time. Father, we feel your anointing here. We know you're here to move in our midst, Lord. We're 
know you're here to do what you want to do, Lord, and let our hearts desire, we pray, be your will, not ours, we pray. Open our hearts, Lord, let faith rise, Lord God, I pray, but let there also be a desire, Lord, to be surrendered unto you, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Jesus, in our text, has returned to his hometown, the area of his childhood, You know, we often associate Bethlehem with Jesus because of his birth and the repeated Christmas story and the fulfillment of prophecy. But Nazareth was where Jesus and Mary lived. Nazareth was not the most desirable part of the country. There is very little that is uh, positive about it when you look in Bible commentaries and, and such resources. People weren't buying houses in Nazareth so their kids could get into a better school district or so they could live in a nicer neighborhood. In fact, I think that if it wasn't for Jesus, we would probably never have even heard of Nazareth. It wasn't, you know, high on the list of tourist destinations. In fact, when in John chapter 1, Philip finds Nathaniel and he says, come with me, we, we found the one of whom the prophets have spoken. We found the Messiah. And they said, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response, which is pretty politically incorrect, he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So it obviously didn't have the best reputation. But in Nazareth, in Jesus' hometown, he goes into the synagogue or the church on the Sabbath day and reads from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah. And the passage he reads is Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, which we will come back to a little, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And our text told us that when he said that, when he read that passage, that every eye in the place was locked on him. Everybody was looking at Jesus, waiting to see what he would do or say. Because when you read the beginning of Luke chapter 4, you find that Jesus has been in the wilderness, He's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's been tempted of the devil. He's overcome that temptation and he has returned in what the scripture describes as the power of the spirit. And he's been going from synagogue to synagogue throughout the region and he's becoming quite well known. He's getting a reputation. he's, He's speaking and there's something about what he says. There's something about what he does that without social media, word was spreading. Amen. And while they're all looking at Jesus, their eyes locked on him, finally he speaks. And in verse 21, it says, And he began to say unto them that this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. I love the language of the King James Bible. Sometimes it's tricky, but it does not say, he didn't say you are going to see it. He said it's fulfilled in your ears. In other words, if you will listen to the word of God. If you will hear what I'm saying, not just in the sense of receiving an audible sound, but if you will hear and you will believe these things that I declare I am anointed unto you will begin to happen. And as he made that statement, it seems like a big old discussion broke out. They begin to say, well, you know, what's he talking about? How, how can he make these claims? And isn't he Joseph's son? Isn't he, you know, didn't he grow up around here? Wasn't he that slightly odd boy that was different to all the others? Because he was different. He was different, amen. Isn't he the one that there was some rumors about who his father really was? 
begin to question his authority, begin to question his identity and why he thinks he had the credibility to make the claims that he did. And then Jesus began to speak to them of how their attitude towards him was actually a hindrance to him being able to minister to them, to being able to heal them and to deliver them. In fact, he goes as far as to say, you're just like your forefathers in the Old Testament. In times of great trouble, in times of the need for a miracle, they weren't ready, but the Lord moved in the Gentiles. He moved in people that were outside of the people of Israel rather than within his own people. This pressed the nerve because the Bible says they got so angry that they wanted to take, they drove him out of church and they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Seems like an appropriate way to finish a church service on a Sunday morning. But the Lord passes through them, he gets away from them and he comes to Capernaum and again, as is his practice, he goes into the synagogue, goes back to church. But this time, this time, not in Nazareth, but in Capernaum, he delivers a demon-possessed man. He goes on to heal Peter's mother-in-law. As the sun is setting at the end of the day, they bring every sick person they can find in the postcode and they bring them to Jesus and he heals them. Demon-possessed people come to him and they are delivered. Amen. It is such a contrast between what happened in Nazareth and what happened in Capernaum. Amen. And I want us to be, so that we're not misunderstood with my message tonight, we must understand that we cannot heal ourselves. We cannot deliver ourselves. There is not a single person in this building that can wash their own sins away. Nobody here can give yourself or anybody else the Holy Ghost. All of that power belongs to Jesus. He is our Redeemer. He is our Healer. He is our Deliverer, our Sacrifice, and our Savior. Amen. And it all comes from Him. But we must also acknowledge that His will is far above ours. And when and how He chooses to do the miraculous is His business. Anybody ever wondered why God does something in one situation but appears to not in another? Doesn't compute with our brains, but that's his business. The reality is not everybody is healed. Not everybody's healed. Not everybody is delivered from the circumstances they may be going through. We've taught that recently in our Sunday school classes about how God brings us through, not always out. And we need to understand that tonight. But then there's a but here. There's a hold on a minute because you and I have a role to play. You and I have a function in the process. You and I have a piece of the puzzle that we bring. Because in a design that comes directly from the beginning, from the creation of heaven and earth, for his will to be accomplished in my life, my will must be involved. Amen. He will not bypass me. He will not railroad me. He will not just bulldoze straight off of the, over the top of me. But he has set it up from the very beginning, from the, from the Garden of Eden, from the first man and the first woman. He had a perfect relationship with them, but it, he did so at, with their will involved in the picture. Adam and Eve didn't say, oh, no, God's coming over again. Does he have to come every day? It's like all he does is talk. But they wanted to spend time with God. They enjoyed his presence. The fellowship was pure. It was sweet. It was holy. And they wanted to be 
involved. Amen. You and I have a role in our deliverance tonight. Amen. God, the Bible tells us very clearly that God is not willing that any should perish. That means that's His will. His will is that everybody should come to repentance. His will is that everybody should be saved. His will is that everybody should be born again. Amen. But until, until my will agrees with or is submitted to His will, I am going to perish. (laughs) I am going to be lost. I will go into an eternity without God, and people don't like to say it, but without my will being submitted to His, I will go to hell. That's Bible. But when I, through the grace and the mercy of God and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, recognize that I do not want to perish, that I do not want to be lost, that I do not want to go to hell, then my will becomes submitted to His will. And my obedience to His word makes my salvation no longer just a possibility, but a reality. But my will must be involved. Amen. We have to understand there is this idea getting around about how with, by grace we're saved, and yes, we are, and you can't, you can't remove even the smallest sin you've ever committed. But to think that we just sit back in an easy chair and God just comes along and does it all is a lie. We must be involved in the process. If, it, if that was how it happened, he'd just save everybody. He'd just pass through town while everybody's asleep. We'd all wake up saved. But our will is involved. Amen. Our will is involved in an ongoing fashion as well. You know, depending on your lifestyle, your physical health may not change much when you get born again. If you're already a fairly healthy eater, if you did a bit of exercise, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't do drugs before you were saved, then after you're saved, your physical health will probably be much the same. But if before you were saved, you lived at KFC with McDonald's for dessert and you drank and smoked and did drugs, well, then when you repent of your sins and you turn from that lifestyle, your physical health is probably going to improve. You may not be an Olympic athlete, but hopefully you will be a little bit healthier. And while I certainly believe that God wants us to take care of ourselves physically, He does. I'm not saying we should all be health freaks, but there is an you, you cannot separate the link between body, soul, and spirit. The health of your body is connected to the health of your mind, which is connected to the health of your walk with God. Because your walk with God lives and dies in here. And if your physical health is making you give you problems here, that's going to affect your spiritual health. Amen. So we need to recognize that you can't just go, well, I'm unhealthy over here, but I'm super healthy over here. That's probably not going to happen. Amen. Again, I'm obviously not suggesting we start a church gym or anything like that. But all of those areas of our lives are certainly connected. And God does want us to take care of ourselves physically, but these bodies are going to die. If the Lord tarries, that's an appointment you can't miss. Amen. And I do believe that when we pray in faith, Jesus will heal our bodies. And so many of us can testify of how he has healed our bodies how he's touched us, some of us again and again. Some might even say more than our fair share. God has touched our bodies. But I do believe the Lord's first or primary concern is the things that are going on inside of us more than what's going on in the physical. It starts with salvation. When we obey the gospel by faith, 
We repent of our sins. We're baptized in the name of Jesus and we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The change that is happening is happening at the level of the immaterial. It's happening at the level of the soul-spirit part of who we are. You're going to wake up the same height the next day. If you were bald before you got the Holy Ghost, I'm sorry, you're probably still going to be bald after, bald after you got the Holy Ghost. Just, just how it is. You don't get the custom design you physique just because you've been born again. Amen. But, you know, but our role in that process is that we believe and we obey. We believe and we obey. And until we do that, our eternal status does not change. Amen. But when you wake up the following morning, having been filled with the Holy Ghost, possibly the night before, the day before, there is not a diet and exercise plan waiting for you on the kitchen table. The Lord's not like, well, I've saved your soul, I'm never going to get you into shape. He doesn't do that, fortunately. There is a plan, however, looks a little bit like one of these, for the diet and exercise plan for your soul, which is invisible. Amen. Amen. It's, it's, God works in the areas that are invisible. Amen. You see, when you receive the Holy Ghost, it happens in a moment of time. When your repentance and your faith is aligned and the Lord pours His Spirit into us, it's, it's, it's an altar call, it's a prayer meeting, it's a Bible study, it's whatever it is. In a few moments, you receive the Holy Ghost. Even if you've been seeking the Lord for the Holy Ghost for a very long time, when it happens, it's moments. It happens just like that. But then, after what happens in just a moment, your exercise plan kicks in. Your exercise plan kicks in. As they, they like to say nowadays, then it's time to rise and grind. Then it's time to get up and do the hard yards. It's time to be faithful. It's time to be committed. There, there's transformation on God's agenda. There's change in the air. You have a part to play. Amen. This morning we talked a little bit about being delivered from demon spirits and even those who are possessed by evil spirits have a role to play in their deliverance. Amen. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1, says, They came over under the other side of the sea, under the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, that's Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder. He just broke them. The fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus, a far off, a far off. He was obviously somewhere up the hillside possibly. The scripture says he ran and he worshipped him. Amen. Even possessed to the point that he could not be bound with chains or shackles. When Jesus put his foot on the sand of that beach, the demon possessed man said, I have a role to play in my deliverance. And he ran to Jesus and worshipped him. Verse 7 lets us know when he got here that it says he cried with a loud voice. Now it's the evil spirit speaking. It's not the man. And said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God whom thou, that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Nobody could control this man. 
Such was the power of the possession that he had experienced. And yet he was able to run to Jesus and to worship him. Amen. There's something powerful that happens when you run to Jesus. Amen. There is something I can't give you all the understanding, but sometimes, you know, when we have church, we, we will have what we call an altar call, which just means we open the front of the church for people to come and pray. God is here. God is back there. But there is something about stepping out by faith and stepping towards God and saying, I'm responding to the word of God. The demon-possessed man could have stayed up in the caves and said, well, he's God, he can deliver me from up here. But he ran to Jesus. He ran to Jesus. The demons were horrified. They didn't want to be anywhere near Jesus. It was the last place they wanted to be. But the man was able to come to his deliverer. Something we have to understand, not everybody that is possessed or oppressed actually wants deliverance. We have to understand that. Or perhaps they want to be delivered from evil spirits, but they don't want to change their actions. They don't want to repent from the sins that gave those demons access in the first place. And as long as they're in that place of being double-minded, there is no deliverance. Amen. The power of repentance. Sometimes we don't spend enough time talking about how powerful repentance is, but repentance is not just powerful as part of your new birth, but it is powerful in your ongoing walk with God. Amen. You've got flesh. I've got flesh. If you're not familiar with what we mean when we say that, we're talking, we're not saying you've got skin and muscles, we're talking about our carnal nature. We're talking about that nature that is within us that is naturally inclined towards being anything except what God wants it to be. And there are things in your flesh and in my flesh that hinder what Jesus wants to do in our lives, that interfere with the changes that he wants to make. We need to understand when we talk about God changing us, we talk about transformation. We talk about if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, but all things are made new. That change that Jesus brings is not to your flesh. Amen. It's to the way that we think. It's changing the way that we think, but it is not the reformation of your carnal nature. We've got to understand that. Your flesh cannot be changed. It cannot be remodeled. It can't be made over. It can't be renovated. There's no book at Quran called The Seven Habits of Highly Spiritual Flesh. It does not exist. Scripturally speaking, there's only one way to handle flesh. It must die. It cannot be renewed and renovated. When he brings change, he's adding himself to us. He's not taking that flesh and, and prettying it up. As long as we're in this life, that flesh will be corrupt. It will oppose God, and if you're going to be victorious, it must die. That's not a popular message, but that's Bible. One of the biggest issues that Christians have is wanting the change that Jesus offers, but also wanting to keep parts of their old lives as well. Trying to have the best of both worlds. And I want to tell you tonight that Jesus will not fight with you. He operates in the space where you surrender. 
That's where he operates. He will not fight with your flesh. He will not battle with your will. He will draw you unto himself, but until you cause it to die in repentance, that part of your life will not be transformed. That's our role in deliverance. That is our role in deliverance. When we use the word deliverance, we're not just talking about spiritual things or demonic things. We're talking about across the board, and we'll get to that a little bit more in a minute. But Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, if I could have that next slide up, please. It gives us a list of the things that Jesus said that he was anointed by the Spirit of God to do. He was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovery of sight of the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now, I believe that there's an overlap in the physical with what he's saying. For example, the recovery of sight of the blind. He healed blind people often. But the primary purpose of these things that Jesus said he was anointed to do happens at the level of our souls, not in our bodies. These bodies are going to die, remember? Amen. When he said the brokenhearted, he wasn't talking about those that just had a relationship, and sadly. When he spoke about captives, he wasn't talking about people in an actual prison because some of the apostles spent some time in those. When he was talking about the blind, he wasn't talking about those that couldn't physically see. When he was talking about those that were bruised, he wasn't talking about people that walked into the coffee table in the dark and hurt their leg. But he was talking, all of these statements are statements of spiritual conditions, of not being able to see what God wants us to see, of being prisoners to our pain of having emotional wounds that have produced bitterness, of things that have happened in our lives that bind us and hold us captive, such as unhealed pain in the past that makes it hard for us to see who we are or where we are going. The anointing that was upon Jesus, the power that was on his ministry when he walked through Israel 2,000 years ago that was completed through his death, burial, and resurrection is meant to be at work today in his body, in the church. You are not meant to stay blind. You are not meant to stay bruised. You are not meant to stay in captivity. Jesus wants to heal you at the level of your soul so much more than he wants to heal your body. You know why? He's not fussed with your body. He's got a new one waiting. <laughs> He's got a new one. When we're raptured, whether we come out of the grave or we come, he comes back and we're alive, we're going to be changed. So he's not all that concerned about your body. Amen. But he wants to operate in us at the level of our souls because that part is going into eternity. Amen. But you and I have a role in that deliverance right now. We are the only ones that can allow Jesus to heal us. We are the only ones that can allow Jesus to set us free. We're the only ones that can allow him to touch those parts that are bruised, to open our understanding where we're blind because of pain and heartache. You may have a bad back until you die. You may have illness in your body until you die. But don't die with a bad spirit. Don't die with a bad spirit. Amen. If you've got pain in your life, you need to repent. 
didn't think that would go over too well. <laughs> what are you talking about, Pastor? Why do I need to repent? I didn't cause this pain. You don't know what happened to me when I was a child. You don't know what my parents did, my mother did, my father did, my stepmother, my stepfather. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know the trauma that I've been through. And yes, you're right, I don't. But when you cling to that pain and you hold on to it so close that nobody can touch it, using the language of the Word of God, it becomes a root of bitterness. And somebody else's sin becomes your sin. Somebody else's wrongdoing becomes your wrongdoing. And you may not have been the instigator, but you are definitely the preserver of the problem. And I don't say that to be harsh, but it is up to us. This is your role in your deliverance. This is the piece of the puzzle that only you can bring. Amen. You know, I remember as a child, I used to ride my bike everywhere in Townsville in North Queensland. And like most little boys, I fell off that bike more than once. I left half my skin up and down the bitumen roads near our house. I remember many times coming home with blood running down my legs and dirt gravel embedded in my knees and you knew that your mother was going to have to clean your wounds and you knew that it was going to hurt you didn't want anybody to touch it if you ever did that as a kid if you fell off on bitumen you know what I'm talking about I, I think for a lot of the years I was in primary school I don't think there were too many times that all the elbows and knees all had good skin on them and there was always something getting scraped off gravel rashed off and bumped off and you knew it was going to hurt but you knew it had to happen. You knew it had to happen. You probably might have been told that if you didn't clean it, your leg would become infected and you'd lose your leg. You know, sometimes as parents, we use these techniques to get our kids to, to let us do things. And so like every other little kid with tears running down your face, you let those that love you carefully remove the dirt and the gravel and wash your wounds so that you might heal. I think you can see where I'm going. You see, like an animal snared in a trap, the hurting snarl at anybody who gets near to them. Usually their family. Because they're afraid of the pain. And that's okay, that's normal. But that pain and that snarling and that, that prison is in your flesh. That's in your natural humanity. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Sister Stinker, if I could have you to the piano, please. Ephesians 4 and 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, clamor has to do with just being a problem and fighting and arguing about everything. And evil speaking, let all those things be put away from you with all malice. That's interesting, that little phrase in there, be put away from you comes from a single Greek word that includes in its meaning to raise or to lift up. Jesus came into the synagogue one day. The Bible says there was a man with a withered hand. Jesus knew he had a withered hand. I don't know if there was something about the way he carried himself or his posture, but it was no secret. And then again, with all those religious hypocrites looking for a way to accuse him of something wrong, he said to the man with the withered hand, he said, stretch forth your and in whatever limited movement he had, he began to move. And as he responded in obedience to the Lord, his range of movement suddenly increased. 
and he was able to reach out as far as his other arm was able to and whatever was twisted or paralyzed was able to be made whole. David said when he repented of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, he said that he was shapen in iniquity. The word shapen means to twist. Sin twists. It corrupts. It perverts. It makes us warped. But there is a God tonight that says you have a role in your deliverance. All those things, bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, be put away from you. Raise them up. That's your role in your deliverance. Tonight that you would raise them up. Say, God, I want to put these things away from me. I know that I, you want to deliver me. See, we think of deliverance and we narrow that down so quickly to just talking about to do with evil spirits and that sort of thing. But you know, in, back in Luke chapter 4, if you can go back a few slides, please, please, Sophia. Luke chapter 4 and 18 and all those statements about preaching the gospel to the poor and healing the brokenhearted. There are two words there I want to draw your attention to. The word deliverance, to preach deliverance to the captives. And then at the end of verse 18, it says to set at liberty them that are bruised. The word deliverance and the word liberty are both translated from the Greek word aphesis, which is the exact same word where we also get forgiveness and remission. In Acts 2.38, when it talks about the remission of our sins in Jesus' name, it's aphesis. So that's why forgiveness is so important because forgiveness is directly connected to deliverance. Your pain may have been resident in you for decades. Since your childhood, the people that inflicted it, the instigators, may be dead and buried, but your pain lives on. But tonight, if you would stand with me, He can heal your body and I'm so thankful when he does. But the bruises and the captivity that he really wants to reach for are in here. It's not my fault, Pastor. That's okay. It's not about blame. <laughs> it's about deliverance. You don't know what happened to me. My dad and my father, my whoever it was, you don't know how they treated me growing up. I mean, I watched a, I watched a clip just recently. Some of you know Brother Chris Green. He was talking about this church he was preaching in and there was a man there that had been praying for the Holy Ghost and I don't want to exaggerate, but I think he'd been in church for 50 years and never received the Holy Ghost. And Brother Chris said to him, we need to ask God to show us what's going on. And so he and that man began to pray and in that moment, Brother Green said, the Lord spoke to him and said, ask him about what happened when he was 13. And he said to him, God just told me to ask you what happened when you were 13. And the man began to weep. He talked about abuse at the hands of, a, I think, a father or a parent. Decades. Decades ago. But right there, it had him captive. It had him in prison. God doesn't want you to stay in the prison of your pain. But if we can go to that verse in Ephesians and say, God, I want to put it away from me. I want to stretch forth my withered hand. I want to lift my bitterness, my anger, all those things to you and say, God, take it from me. In Jesus' name.
Take it from me in Jesus' name. It, it may not happen in a moment, but you begin a process. You begin a process where you sow seeds tonight that you will harvest tomorrow. You begin to sow forgiveness, begin to sow release, begin to sow deliverance, begin to bring the piece of the puzzle that only you have to Him, and He will set you free. Hallelujah. You might die with a bad back. You might walk and limp for the rest of your life. But on that day, when there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, all those things have passed away. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, God. I pray that your word would speak to us tonight, Lord God. That your word would reach into our hearts, Lord. Lord, help us to see pain, Lord, that we might have even had so far suppressed that we forgot it was there, but Lord, it's poisoning us. It doesn't matter if we're 10. It doesn't matter if we're 100, Lord. You're still our deliverer. You still want to set the captives free? God, let there be forgiveness. Let there be release tonight, Lord God, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you feel like God's Word has spoken to you tonight and there's something you want to ask Him to take from you, I want you to find a place at this altar. It's up to you. It's got to be real. You can't be half-hearted. You can't be saying, well, I want it, but I want to hang on to it. If you're not willing to let it go, don't bother coming. But if you've got pain that you want to release, I want you to find a place at this altar. But I don't want anybody praying for anybody else tonight. This is you and Jesus. If you want to pray for somebody, you can do that where you stand. But tonight, this is just us and Jesus. God, you know my pain. You know where it came from. You know the prison that it's been. God, I stretch forth my withered hand tonight, Lord God. I ask you, Lord, for a feast.